Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Good evening. Dave. Good afternoon. And Tori. Hello, Internet. We just and can't crack Tori. We start we every can't. week with good thing. So, Craig, be good. Yo, this week, my good thing is the Phoenix Wright Trilogy, which you can get on Switch. Phoenix Wright's so good, guys. So it's it's a visual novel. If, if Okay, if someone here has never heard of Phoenix Wright, it's in the visual novel genre, but it's about being a lawyer and protecting innocent people uh, as a defense lawyer and uh it has a nice little like mystery to it as you try to solve the cases figure out what the real thing is but the reason it's a game and the reason why it's exciting is because court cases only go for three days like the court in pseudo japan wherever the heck this takes place you get three days and then you're automatically guilty on the third day if uh, if you're not found guilty before then. So it's sort of like you got to really make sure you uh, find the, the person innocent if you're a defense lawyer. So pretty exciting. It's a lot of fun. Awesome music. Play the whole trilogy. Play the other games in the series. There's like six or seven or more, something like that. It's a lot of fun. And the defense lawyers have hit points. <laughs> they do. <laughs> and if your the defense lawyer is awesome. okay, <laughs> it's true. Music's great. Uh, if your defense lawyer is KO'd, you're automatically found guilty. I mean, who else is going to defend you? So it's it's likely classifies itself as visual novel, but I'd actually put it gameplay-wise more in the point-and-click adventure grouping. It has a little bit of it. It's, Parts it's of it, yeah. sort of half, half and half. Or like the investigative portions of it are, yeah. are very point-and-click adventure. And then, and then yeah. The court like, cases, the best part, are sort of visual novel-y. Yeah, you can see how they kind of improved uh, on the formula as the games went on also. Oh, and by the way, if you're getting it on Switch, it's the HD remake, and the graphics are gorgeous in the remake compared to like the old GBA and DS versions. But yeah, yeah in the third game, they actually figured out that the investigation phase could have been more than just filler to get to the good part. It actually like builds up the characters in the situation going into the court cases. So I, I th- definitely think the third one was done the best. Uh, but yeah, anything's better than that um, part where you have to wander around the studio. <laughs> Dude, I just pick. beat that case last night. <laughs> that it's one was brutal. That once you get past time. that one, it's not okay. Once you get past the uh, Steel Samurai case, it's like, I think it's like the second case in the first game, or is it like the, the first third case? It's the third, the third one. one. Okay, it's. The tutorial, then the second one, yeah. Right. But yeah, the steel, the Turnabout Samurai, I think it's called. Yeah, that one's kind of brutal the first time through, but I swear that's like that's the worst that game's gonna get, and you should it's, you should it's get brutal through because it. it's unintuitive. Like mm-hmm. that's really the issue. There's still some good moments in that case. Like you, you still just have, have a crush on Wendy Old Bag. Up, yeah, that pop up again and again. It's just compared to other cases, it's sort of dragged on, and it's sort of felt different but that's okay like you have to have a mix of cases they can't all be excellent so get through it if you're playing it for the first time if you get stuck i guess you can look on the internet game facts or save scum (laughs) or save scum well you don't really need to save scum you just have to know where to look 
Well, it's, you have to save scum, scum in the court part sometimes. Oh, yeah. I do like um, when... Oh, we save often. When Legal Eagle did a reaction to Phoenix right now, he was actually reacting to the anime, not the game. But he, it was like the first episode of the Phoenix Wright anime. And uh, Devin, the Legal Eagle guy, he's like, what's going on? It's not the defense attorney's job to find the true murderer. And I was just like, you never played the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the mechanics of the game have very little relation to at least the American law system. Apparently, they're designed as a uh, a like a satire of Japanese of the Japanese legal system. But right. yeah, it's it's bonkers. It's just it nothing makes sense. It's bonkers. Oh. So special bonus. If you guys also like Professor Layton, which is another good thing. They did a crossover of Professor Layton and Phoenix Wright. And oh, my gosh, guys, it's really good. Now, it's not as difficult as either of those two series. It's sort of like it's a mix between them. So take instead of the investigation part, you get puzzles like Professor Layton and then you get the court scenes of Phoenix Wright. It's so good to mix both of Best Worlds. Like, it's really good. And of course, they have some really good remixes of the songs. All right, Dave, your turn. Uh, My good thing this week is uh, I finally found a good tutorial on how to code a bot for your Twitch chat channel. And I've been working on that the last few days, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. So it's something that I've been meaning to do for years and finally got around to figuring out how to get started on it. And I have enough experience programming that I can figure out what I want to do as I go. I just have to. And even like looking up syntax and the actual how you type the code is pretty simple. But actually getting from having nothing to having an entity in a chat room just was completely lost on me. And that, so that's why I put it off for so long. But I finally found a good guide to get started, and now I'm just rolling with it. So right now, uh, my bot, his name is Bot Product. He has <laughs> he has a pet snake, and you can feed the snake. But every time the snake eats, it has a chance to throw up. So as it eats, it gets bigger and bigger in the chat room. But so I have a suggestion. It. Okay. Maybe as you feed, each time the snake gets bigger the chance of it throwing up should increase. It does. So the okay. way it is now, I didn't put too much thought into the math. Uh, it Basically, it takes a random integer between the length of the snake and the number 31. And if it rolls a 31, then the snake throws up. So the longer the snake is, the tighter the window is. But still, if you're at 29, you still have a 50-50 chance of having a successful feed. But over time, the odds of actually getting up that high are pretty slim. So. I figured that was good enough. The betrayal at house? I, I would like odd. to note that for real snakes, uh, you don't want to feed them every minute. You'll want to limit yourself <laughs> to probably not more often than about once a week. Well, so this is just, it's a model of a snake where one minute equals one week. There you go. It also, well, then uh, if, you, if you don't feed it every minute, then you're starving the poor thing. I also thought of it having it decrease over time if it doesn't get fed, but... It's more complicated than I wanted to move on to the actual important stuff that the bot does. That was just a fun little side project. Uh, it also can read a text file that keeps track of my progress in Slay the Spire. Currently working on having the bot update the text file as well. And oh, today I threw together a quote, uh, a little quote list as well. So it can read quote 
from a text file. You can pick a random one or you can pick an indexed quote if you want to read a specific one. And you can add quotes. We need to add so many for our <laughs> recording here. But, uh, I mean, if you want bot product to live in your channel during recordings, I guess that's fine. I do need a quote bot. I do need something like that. You have one in your channel right now. I do. I'm going to be using it during our episode here. <laughs> All right. Uh, so my good thing this week is what I'm having for dinner right now, which is Little Caesars Pizza. It's not good pizza, but it is <laughs> it is pretty good food for you walk in, you pay five bucks, you walk out with nice. hot food. <laughs> Man, I could go for some pizza. But yeah, on, on the scale pizza, of but... like good pizza to bad pizza... It's it's very much on the bad pizza end, but on the scale of places where you go in, you don't spend much money and you leave with food, it's like right at the top of that list. Oh, Mike, what was that place in college where we got $5 pizzas? That was Eureka Pizza, yes, whose, whose deal Eureka was <laughs> that you buy a pizza and you get one free. And if you come and if you do um, carry out instead of delivery, in you get town? two free. That's ridiculous. Yeah, the How the five make money? the five dollar thing was actually a it was it was a student special like you had to show your student ID to get it. Sure. So I have to admit I've never eaten at Little Caesars in my whole lifetime. I mean, probably for the best. As I said, they're not good pizza. Yeah, but I'm curious. So anyway, yeah, Little Caesars, not good pizza. Pretty good cheap food though. So Tori, what you got? Uh, well, similar to Dave learning his programming stuff, um, not not actually programming, but I'm pretty excited about this project I'm working on with some friends at the library. Uh, we are writing a choose-your-own-adventure story, and Ooh. yeah, uh, because well, the, this summer the summer reading program is going to be entirely online. We're not allowed to have in-person programs, even if the library opens again by then, which so far it hasn't yet. Um, so we've been trying to convert everything that we were planning into online activities. So um, I don't remember how we came up with the idea, but it's me and four other librarians decided, you know what, let's make a choose your own adventure story. And so that's what I've been working on. And it's so fun. I'm really enjoying the process. Uh, have you talked to our mutual friend Ryan about this? No, I haven't. Because he wrote a at least one that I know of. He may have done more. Uh, choose your own adventure game things for Neopets back when he was into that. Okay. Well, I will hit him up then. So, so just to reiterate, choose your own adventure is like visual novels before computers. Right. <laughs> we went full circle. Yeah, I used to, those used to be my favorite things to get at the library when I was like seven, before, oh, yeah, I, before I got into like real books. Do you remember the Mario Brothers one? Never, you had never to, like, did that one. Coins. I had a Zelda one. Yeah, I, I think it was like Zelda and Mario. I don't know if it was the same book or if it was two separate, but I remember doing that one as a kid. Yeah, None well, of mine... uh, and so with, with my friends that were working on this, um, the way we divided up the um, responsibilities is, um, well, because it's it's library themed. So the basic plot is that uh, someone has let magic loose in the library. It's in the books. You have to go in the books to get them out. So everybody picked a genre and and you you have to go down the whole TV tropes list for that genre in order to get the magic out of the book. 
Um, so somebody is doing a fantasy book and somebody's doing a sci-fi book and we're doing a, um, dystopian young adult novel. And, um, I don't remember what the other one was. Oh, Jane Austen. And so four of the librarians are each picking one of those. And my job was to write the beginning and to tie them all together at the end. Um, so I told everyone, well, you know, this is my idea for the happy ending. And one of the other librarians says, if there's a happy ending, does that mean that there are bad endings? And I was like, did you ever read these as a kid? <laughs> like, we're going to die a lot. Uh, yeah, well, I, I would if, read them. I'm sorry. If, if I may make a quick suggestion. Uh, one thing that most of the of the Choose Your Own Adventure books that I read did was there's a page somewhere in there that if you if you actually follow the instructions to the book, you will never get to. So you should definitely include something like that. Mm, with, um, it, with it being online and they have to click something to get their next page, I don't know how that's going to happen. Put a secret URL, just like Homestar. That's an idea. Yeah, didn't he make... Yeah, he made a Choose Your Own Adventure. I was going to say, as a kid, when I would do those books, my fingers, I would, like, be saving five, six pages or so. Like, I'm, like, trying to hold all of my space so I can go backwards for when I find a dead end. Ah, good times. So, Dave... I believe you read a chapter roughly a fortnight ago. I have a question. Why is there just one chapter this week? Um, because we had to structure it that way so that we weren't stopping at a certain point in the middle of the avalanche later. All right. Sounds good. Works for me. I figured it was just because the these two chapters are both fairly long and it would have pushed us over our yes, intended was... page count. Yes, there was that, but also when I was looking at, because I really try, it, anyway, it, 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 I don't need to get into it here, but um, suffice it to say, it would have broke up the avalanche in a weird way if I hadn't divided it here. So what you're saying is you're looking out for Dave's emotional well-being. Yes, that's it exactly. <laughs> Wait, we didn't agree to that. <laughs> what? Craig. <laughs> hey, Dave, you read some chapter this week's. <laughs> Dave finally caught up to us. So why don't you go ahead and give us, I hope you have a lot of bullet points. I have a couple. All right. So I did actually read this over a week ago or close to a week ago. So it's kind of not as fresh in my mind. And But Mike actually read it last night. So I'm going to read off my bullet points and I sent a copy to Mike and he's going to interpret them for us. Anybody ready? No. Oh, I'm ready. I mean, yes. Okay. Chapter 57, Wonder Snail. Maps is lost. <laughs> it's maps. You got lost. <laughs> yeah. We didn't have this. <laughs> or the Swamp Palace big key. Sorry, too soon. Wow. Too soon, man. Too soon. Kaladin. Uh, what? You won. GG. Kaladin uh, is glowing. Sulfrena is a gluon sphere. Kaladin lashes a Numuhuku Makiaki Ayalunamore to the wall. Just like the Radiance. Big meanie Kaladin makes Sulfrena cry. Next scene. Kaladin goes for an evening stroll. Hoyd steals Kaladin's boredom. Hoyd has a loop pedal for his flute. Derithil and the Wondersail, or Wandersail. The Wandersail goes to outer space or something? I don't know. The Uvara, the people of the Great Abyss. Their emperor will not suffer failure. Well, turns out, he won't suffer anything. He's dead, Kaladin. <laughs> Nafti, nice. Nafti joins Darithville. Where have I heard that name before? 
The moral of the story is what does Kaladin not want to take responsibility for? Kaladin gets a Picard's flute. What kind of woods? What kind of wood is it? If it's from Scadriel, it's probably ash. Sigzil is Hoyd's apprentice. Silfrena doesn't like Hoyd. Silfrena and Kaladin have a symbiotic relationship. What can Kaladin do with his powers? We're gonna find out, but not this week. Take it, Mike. All right. Uh, starting us off, Wonder Snail. Uh, the name of the chapter is Wonder Sail, and Sail is very similar phonetically to Snail. So that's what Dave was going for. Also, it reminded me of Thunder Snail from Undertale. I guess I didn't get far enough into Undertale for that. Uh, next up, Maps is lost. Uh, Maps dies here in this chapter, and he says some stuff as he's dying. Uh, that's what that meant. And Kaladin is sad about that because, I mean, have you read the rest of the book yet? That's that's sort of his his deal. Kaladin Kaladin gets sad about stuff. Uh, but then he glows. I decided to start on this chapter. I had no idea. Sad boy learns to glow. Yep. So, and then and then he glows because Tef tries to punch him, uh, and then Kaladin starts glowing and sticks uh his medical bag to the side of a barrel. Um, yeah. And then I don't remember him doing anything to a rock or a Numuhuku Makiaki Ayalunamore, so I'm not sure where that exact bullet yeah, point is going. He goes back and hides so that uh, the Lopin doesn't see him glowing. So he goes and hides in an alleyway and sticks a rock to the side of one of the buildings. Don't remember that. Okay. Uh, and then Big Meanie Kaladin makes Silfrena cry. I don't feel like we need to go into that. That's that's pretty self-explanatory. Okay. Before that. Um, Sulfrena is a gluon spring, so she makes stuff stick together. So, in an earlier chapter... <laughs> she's a gluon spring Yeah, now. she's like, she's the spring that keeps the nucleus from exploding, alright? Sure. Uh, <laughs> so, in an earlier chapter, Kaladin's wallet was, like, stuck to his belt, and I thought that they had actually, that Sulfrena had actually tied them together. But I jokingly wrote Sylphrena glues Kaladin's wallet to his belt, but it turned out I was accidentally right about that, and she does actually just stick stuff to stuff. Is that a Dave theory? We Did that's, Did you get another one right? That's what happens. Yeah, that's what happens in this chapter. No, I meant did you actually write about it in Dave theory? So it was one of my bullet points earlier. Uh, he wrote about it somewhere. I, I know he mentioned prepared. it somewhere because I responded to it. And if Sylphrena is not a windsprint, then why is her name Sylphrena? I mean, people have weird names. They can name themselves whatever they want. Sylvs, Bren? I mean, I know some people named Joy and Charity that don't have those qualities, so... Grumpy and greedy. My name is Michael, and I am not an archangel. Well, Michael means one who is like God. Pretty sure I'm not that either. <laughs> yep, and even though I'm a Victoria, I don't win all the time. Oh, your name was Tori. Yeah. Well, I don't know what's wrong with you guys. My name is Dave, and everybody loves me. <laughs> Except that guy. Be right back. Got to look on the naming sites and figure out what the origins of Dave are. In the Bible, it means well, yeah, beloved. But... Oh, does it? <laughs> All right, carry on, Mike. See, I would have gone for Raymond with uh, with someone everyone loves. Uh, anyway, next bullet points. Kaladin goes for an evening stroll. Um, I don't know that there's much to. Yeah, don't know that there's much to add to that one. Uh, he, Hoyd steals Kaladin's boredom. Yeah, so Kaladin 
walks out into the Shattered Plains and meets up with the King's Wit, who is sitting there with a fire and his flute, and he introduces himself and they talk for a bit, and he tells Kaladin that his name is actually Hoyd. Except it really isn't, but it is, sort of. Yeah, it it sort of hits you over the head that this guy is different. I mean, the fact that he's playing a musical instrument, which is unusual for males to do, is also a thing. A uh, lefty male. And then Hoyd starts telling Kaladin a story, uh, with some help from his loop pedal on his flute, uh, which is that he's playing, and then he's talking, and the music seems to keep going while he's talking, so... Uh, the story he tells is about Darithil and the Wander Sail. Wander, uh, W-A-N-D-E-R, instead of Wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R. I don't know why, or if that's important, but that's how it's spelled. Because you're going to wander. It is called Wander Sail. Yes. Okay. They're two but different it, words. But it could okay. have been called Wonder Sail. That's not as fun. It could have been called Wonder Snail. Hmm. That sounds amazing. Uh. Uh, so the Wonder Sail goes to outer space or something, I don't know. Uh, they travel, and then they end up on some islands, and it might be it's weird. on the other side of the storms or something, I don't know. They're sailing in towards the, uh, Sea of Origins, or whatever that's called. Yeah, but the they're coming at it to the storm. west, like, they're traveling to the west to potentially circle the planet and make their way to the origin of storms. Are you I saying Roshar is round? Like a pancake? Am I saying that planets are spherical generally? Yeah. If there's a planet that's an elliptoid. That's still roundish. So is a pancake. As too round. Uh, so Darithil and his crew uh, land on an island. They meet a people called the Uvara, the people of the Great Abyss. And whenever somebody screws up even a little bit, uh, they all get together and murder the absolute crap out of that person. Uh, and when asked why, they tell um, his crew that their emperor does not suffer failure. And after a couple of days of watching people getting murdered for tripping over things and dropping stuff, uh, they go to talk to the emperor in his tower. Wait, but what's up? I have a question. No, no questions. Do you do you remember in Galaxy Quest when the the little alien dude like hurts himself? And he goes to get water, and then they, like, eat him. And the others are helping him. Nope. Yep, that's exactly what is happening on this island. Yeah, that's a pretty good visual for it. Uh, so they go to meet with the Emperor, except he's dead, and has been for years. Uh, and when they show the people this, just mass chaos erupts on this island. So the the crew hoofs it back to their boat, and they leave. But they take someone with them named Nafti. Uh, who then joins the crew, and I have no idea what name you're talking about with your where have I heard that name before bullet point, Dave. Um, that was Nafti, I think. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. That sounded familiar. Okay. I don't think you've heard it before. So, so he's literally asking, where have we heard this before? Yeah, I, I don't think Sky we have. Fight? What's the name? Nafti. N-A-F-T-I. Maybe it reminds me of a real-life name. Or maybe I was thinking of Rafi from Star Trek Picard. I don't know. Maybe I was thinking of Nafti. 
I think I was probably just thinking of a similar name that I heard in real life somewhere. Maybe Neftali. That is possible. Uh, so that's pretty much the end of the story. And then uh, Kaladin wants to know what it, like, why he told him that story, what, what the moral of it was. And Hoyd says, no, no moral. I just tell stories. What did you think the moral was? And Kaladin... Yeah, I don't like that. Kaladin it's thinks of, it's about responsibility, it's so Hoyd asks him, well, what are you trying to avoid responsibility for? Uh, and then Kaladin starts thinking, and Hoyd gives him his flute, and what kind of wood is it? Uh, we don't know, because Kaladin doesn't know. And A Picard's flute. Yes, a Picard's flute. It is. Uh, and then... So did Kaladin live a second life during that Wandersail story? I don't think he, like saw himself as one of the characters. I I think he just saw the story being sort of played out in the smoke. The, the um meet, meeting Hoyd in the middle of the Shattered Plains was the vision. So but Hoyd if it wasn't real, where did the Picard's flute come from? Ah, Hoyd is mystery. the probe. Uh, then we learn that Sigzel is Hoyd's apprentice, and Hoyd officially graduates him. He's no longer an apprentice. He's a full world singer. And then we find out that Sulfrena was there the whole time. And she doesn't like Hoyd. Uh, <laughs> and then Sylphrena and Kaladin have a symbiotic relationship, which of course means that Kaladin is going to turn into Venom from Spider-Man. Yep. Sylphrena, you know, needs him so that she can be sentient. And he needs her so that he can take down Spider-Man. Aka Sadius. Uh, and then finally, Kaladin goes back to the barracks and confronts Teft. What do you know? And end of chapter. Mm -hmm. So my question for Dave is, what's the moral of the Wandersail story and why did you not like it? I don't like that Hoyd tries to say that the point of a storyteller isn't to give a moral or to tell people what to think. Like, that's that's what storytellers do. Well, Hoyd's Wait, a no. different type of storyteller. Sometimes. I guess it's different, like... It's not that's it's not a necessarily like the case across the board, I would say. A lot of times stories do have morals and stories are intended to get people to think a specific way. So it depends uh on whether the author but has It's not the storyteller's job to say that. The storyteller's job is to tell the story. The story can have a moral and it might yes, it might be that the story is leading you to think a certain way, but it's not the storyteller's job to get in your brain with a hammer and make that happen. Yeah. Okay. That's not what he said, though. Well, also, stories can have multiple meanings. It's he's sort of like, what did Sometimes. you get out of it? Some some stories can. Some stories might not. Okay. Uh, some authors are really good at this, and and they write stories about stories and and stories about telling stories. Uh, Neil Gaiman with Sandman is a great example of this. Uh, Pat Rothfuss yeah. with the King Killer Chronicles, another great example about this. Brandon Sanderson is not that kind of storyteller. Uh, so when he includes a story like this, he's not just telling a story to tell a story or to tell a story about telling a story. He's he's leading somewhere. I'm not super sure where exactly yet, but yeah, this is this is meaningful and intentional. And Dave, what you think? What did I think about the story? I like the story. It had a definite point. But Hoyt, well, I just don't like the fact that Hoyt tries to say, like... I don't like how relativistic Hoyd is trying to be about the story. Not really. Yeah. What do you think Hoyd's point for telling this story is? To get Kaladin to 
admit that he doesn't want to take responsibility for something like to to draw so, a connection between or or to say that like Kaladin's ignorance of his power isn't necessarily an excuse for not using it. So so what you're saying is that maybe Hoyd's purpose was to get Kaladin to be a little more uh, introspective. Yeah. And if you just tell him what the theme is, Kaladin isn't going to do that. He's going to be like, oh, saying that. Okay, I'm not saying that Kaladin doesn't need to figure it out for himself. Like you don't you don't want to read a story and then have the author come and like tell you the exact meaning of the story either. But like there is a meaning to it a lot of times. And it's up to the reader to interpret it and to try to interpret it correctly. But um, that doesn't mean there isn't a meaning or like there isn't a a light that the author is trying to shine on the reader. I don't know. What I got from Hoyd was just like, oh, the story means what you want it to mean. And just like, no, it means that people want to wallow in ignorance rather than take responsibility for their actions. All right. Um, any theories on Teft now that you have a very tiny bit of his backstory now? Uh, didn't he say that he was like in some order of priests or something that was or his he was raised in some kind of thingy by his family where they talked about these people that are like Kaladin but he didn't believe that there were such people that is exactly the bit of information that you have i would like you to attempt to expound on it make some guesses please um you know some <laughs> about shards and radiance and heralds maybe and probably voidbringers are in there somewhere Maybe about Harold the Radiant. <laughs> Harold. Harold the Radiant and Raphael the Herald. Rad Eradial. Eradial the Herald. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't know if is there some kind of like if there was there was probably some minor mention of some kind of sect or religion that we heard wait, what if he's like what if he's one of on um capsules like groupies? Like, what if he's in the same order that Capsule is in? What if he is? Um, okay, so I don't remember if it's said in this chapter or not, but I can't. I know and am happy to share with you the name of Tef's family's secret society, if you would like yeah, to know that. Is it the Stonecutters? It is the <laughs> Invisagers. Invisagers. Yeah, more or less. Those are the guys from Zelda 2 that you can't see without the cross. Um... Invisitor. That's oh, the name oh, of wait, chapter like, thirty-eight. So Dave has at least have seen that word before. Chapter thirty-eight. Let me scroll up there to my notes. Forty-four. Invisitor. Bubble hearth. Oh, this had something to do with one of Dalinar's visions. Wait, did it? No. Oh, that was the uh, death sprint. When Kaladin Tef did something that got the Invisitors killed. Oh. So what did he do? Do you think? Uh, he probably, like, blabbed about their secret location. Or, like, maybe he actually, like, straight up sold him out. Maybe that's why he's in slavery and bridgery. Maybe. And maybe he, like, straight up thought that their religion was a bunch of bull honky and sold him out. And he's like, whatever, these guys, they're, they're, they're mad. So I'll turn him over. And maybe he did, a, like, an Ahane thing where he didn't think that they would all get slaughtered. So I do have some spoilery stuff to talk about. Same. I do want to say that there's 
definitely everything I said about Sylphrena so far is correct. So she's like some kind of agent of the Night Watcher or something. I would absolutely watch a TV show called that. What, agent <laughs> of the Night Watcher or something? We'll drop the or something, and, and I think we've got some CW gold. <laughs> so, all right, sounds like we're done with Dave. So, go away, Dave. Bye, Dave. Bye. Bye, Dave. Dave is gone, play the thing, and we get into spoiler stuff. So, go ahead, Craig, what you got? Uh, well, this week we get to talk about Wandersale, an interesting story told to us by Hoyd. Um, there's many meanings to this to this story, but one of the th- important things to know is that Honor is dead, and it's it sort of goes along with that as well. The fact that people are doing things in the name of the Almighty, and uh, well, that he's dead. <laughs> so something else to think about in this case. Many layers. I mean, it's like Dave said, it's a whole, all about like taking responsibility for your actions. But it's also that people have been doing things in the name of the Almighty, and the Almighty is dead. Uh, so I had the sense this time uh, that while they were traveling, they either managed to go through Shadesmar or something in that neighborhood. So like they weren't necessarily still on Roshar when they, when they landed on this island. Like space. Yeah, but I mean that was Dave's. Sure, that was Dave's bullet point. Just I had I had that sense this time. I can't really point to anything to to like solidify that in the text, but yeah. So that's sort of the question. We know that the Horn Eaters they they'll like they will use I I, I believe it's cultivations um, perpendicularities. Like they'll interact with it. They might have glimpses into Shades Mar that way, and of course there have been. Knights Radiant who could go into uh, there were there were else callers and things like that that could go into Shadesmar. So there might be some information about sort of what Shadesmar looks like, which could carry over with the story. Oh, I, re- I remember. I remember the bit that I that made me potentially think that uh, they get caught up in a high storm while they're at sea. Right. So they might have traveled by way of honors perpendicularity, which is which is the storm front of the high storm and and that could have taken them to wherever this island is yeah yeah uh and then yeah with cultivations perpendicularity is at the horn eater peaks and apparently like some of the horn eaters actually drink the the water from it and that that's what makes them special and able to see spren right they're they're basically doing something so that way they can they're sort of tuning their mind to be able to have a little bit of a connection with the the actual cognitive realm. But also, of. if you if you do that and you're not special enough, it'll kill you. No, no. <laughs> and anybody they clarify can clarify that. I think in this chapter, uh, or no, maybe it's a later chapter. No, the horn eaters will kill you because you broke the law, not because the waters themselves harm you. Oh, I thought that was. Sig- sigil like poisonous actually unless you're special. It it's like that's because the horn ears. You guys will kill someone who's not a horn ear that interacts with the pole. You're like ah, airsick lowlander. Well, just because Sigzel said it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. But yeah, you yeah, probably got a point. I, I count Sigzel as very knowledgeable, so I'm not gonna. I'm I'm going to trust Sigzel's word over Rock, who commonly is sarcastic and exaggerates and says different things. Sigzel doesn't even know that his boss is a space alien. Okay, well, who does, man? Who does? I mean, he might suspect. 
So uh, the question I also have for you guys is Hoyd using any al- allomancy in this particular chapter? I don't think he is. He he does some in Words of Radiance. I don't think he's doing any allomancy at this point. Uh, it would be for Rukami, I would think, tapping into Fortune to. Well, yeah, he's always doing that. Not necessarily through Rukami though, but he's he's always doing something with Fortune so that way he's in the right place at the right time, even if he's not entirely certain why. I thought the copper mine said that his his primary access to fortune was through Farukami. Maybe that's speculation, or maybe that was a word of Brandon. I don't know. I just know that he uses fortune. Yeah. Um. And yeah, with regards to Alamancy, I don't think he needs to here. Like he can be he can be weird and mysterious enough to get Kaladin's interest all by himself, and he doesn't really need Kaladin to do anything except sit there and listen to him. So. Yeah, no no need to manipulate emotions. If he did, um, do you think Syl would have noticed? I don't know. I'm not she sure she would be attuned some, to that. Some investiture happening. Because I could see her being extra suspicious of something like that. Well, she was already suspicious of, of Hoyd. She extra didn't like him. suspicious. So, so we know that Hoyd uses some uh, emotional allomancy on Shallon, but I think it's in a, a flashback chapter. Uh, we don't know that he uses it on her. We know that he doses himself with metal in her flashback chapter. Right. I just, I I felt when I, because I recently reread that, and we'll talk about it once we get there in our podcast, but uh, I, I felt like there was a mention of emotions, which is interesting because we know that he drank some metal flakes and is probably using emotional elements. But yeah, that's, that's a good point. The reason I bring it up is if he does it to Shalon, in the present and uh this pattern notice because again it's investiture and he's also a spring i am personally certain that he was raging the absolute crap out of sadius's anger to try to get him to try to kill him <laughs> during yes. during one of the one of the feasts in an earlier right. chapter like i don't have evidence for this beyond he can and i think he would i'm certain he is but I can't. I can't prove it. So, you guys can shoot me down. Uh, I have. I have okay, a small we'll theory do. that I sort of came along. What if Hoyd is the holder of Adonalsium, and they did something to basically steal the shard rather than just completely splinter it? I, like I feel like we always we've assumed that Hoyd knows the people and helps them in some way. But what if? What if he was more than that? Look, I mean, off the we, wall. We won't know for certain until Dragonsteel gets written. Of course. Um, But I feel like we've gotten enough evidence that Hoyd was around before Adonalsium got shattered, like as Hoyd, or rather as Sephandrius. Or whatever his name is. It's just that his his story, he has different names, he doesn't seem to even know his name. And I'm like, have we even looked at what... We just sort of assumed that the original holder of Adonasium is dead because the shards were created. He was essentially splintered. But I'm like, what if what if they were able because he also can't harm people like that's something for some reason he has. He cannot harm people. He can harm cognitive shadows because he's able to fight uh, Kelsier during the uh, secret history. So and I'm I would suggest that that fight is the most fun he's had in millennia. <laughs> so 
he can interact with cognitive shadows. That's fine. But he can't harm living beings. So it's like there's something that prevents him from harming things that are in the physical realm. But and he, I'm like, can, what? he can be harmed by living beings, though. Yeah, um, he can. But can he be killed? That's another question we have. Well, I think that's more in the neighborhood of he has just acquired so much power that right. not even a shard blade is really a threat to him anymore. Not necessarily that there's something inherent about him that keeps him from being killed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I also had another thought. I sort of want to bring it up now. If you guys remember Urethru, the the way they describe it, it's sort of like it's it's a giant stone tower that has giant floors on the bottom and it gets smaller as it goes up, but it's cut in half. So it's like it's it's they're half circles and it has a solid like flat side that's going straight down the middle uh, if it was like a full circle, right? Yep. There's pictures of it and everything. What if and I'm I'm not going to go into this this episode because I have some theories about the cognitive realm and I really want to give it justice. It has to do with physics. Um, but what if that Erythru, that's only the half you can see in the physical realm, and the other half of the tower exists within the cognitive realm? Okay. What if so, the tower was to- built that way because the flat side is east facing toward high storms? I don't think it is. It explicitly is, yes. Is it? Yeah. I'm looking it up on Coppermine Wiki right now. It is, but isn't it also above the storms? It still gets hit by some of it. It's not, like, it's above the worst of it, but it's a high storm. Uh, So I would like to cover something that Trellium was kind enough to point out for us uh, over the course of, since we last recorded, uh, that the three bondsmiths spren... Uh, are identified. Uh, those are the Stormfather, duh. Uh, the Night Watcher, again, duh, although we didn't have full confirmation of that quite yet because nobody's bonded with her in the present day. And then the third is one called the Sibling, uh, which is, we have very little info on it according to the Coppermind. It's basically just a paragraph and a quote, um, but it is apparently the Spren of Urithiru. Yeah. Like the the spren of the tower itself. So, shout-outs to Trellium for spotting that and and giving us information on that. Super-duper appreciate it. It was, it was literally like a quote in all of Oathbringer, and I completely overlooked it and or thought that the sibling was just another name to reference Kusasesh the Protector, who uh, Trellium has a theory that Kusasesh is actually... Blah, 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 reading, reading, reading. One of the unmade. Which one? You have it written down here somewhere. Diagonarthus the Black Fisher, who is somehow trapped in the repeating pattern at whatever city it was. And and yeah, that that's actually one of the unmade who just sort of got stuck like that. You know how when you make a face and your mom's like, stop making that face or it'll get stuck that way. <laughs> yep. Well, it did. Words to live by right there. Um, I thought I had something else, but I'm blanking on it. It's gone. We okay. got one chapter, and we were able to talk about it for like an hour. But it's good Cosmere information, because, you know, whenever we get a Hoid chapter, and he's being very Hoidy this time, I'm pretty certain Hoid is a bard. Like, if I had to give him a D&D character class, it would be bard. Well, sure. Oh, it would totally be a bard. And then, yeah, within a, within like a week or two of being given this super fancy, extremely old 
loop pedal flute. Uh, Kaladin goes and leaves it. <laughs> so yep. the the real moral of of Hoyd's story is: don't loan things to Kaladin; you will not get them back. I mean, when well, it's a useless I mean, flute, he doesn't know what to do with a flute. He he's not Picard; he's not going to learn how to play it. He's not going to take it into battle with him, which is what happened when he lost it. As he goes to the battle, and then when he comes back, the, he gets adopted by Uncle Dalinar, and then he doesn't go back to the camp and get <laughs> Uncle Dalinar. <laughs> but that's kind of no, what does. happened. No, he does. He goes back with Dalinar to make sure everybody gets out. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely. He just, he just doesn't get his flute. He di- he didn't grab any of his belongings when when he went back to the barracks to grab everyone. He just went. He he cares about the people. He grabbed the people. So don't loan things to Kaladin because he won't ever give them back. He'll lose them immediately. Yeah, yeah. good point. Um, and yeah, like, I, I I feel like what I said. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Like his brand new boots that he only had for like a week, and then he lost those. You remember that part? <laughs> yeah, freaking Kaladin, you are bad at keeping things. That's not his fault. Shallan no. stole it from Is him. It no. Shallan conned him, and he knew she was conning him. He could have just said no. Don't blame the guy. I do. He's bad at keeping things. <laughs> I'm surprised in Amaram's army he wasn't constantly losing his spears. Well, I mean, Amaram offered him a shard blade and he lost that too. Yeah, easy responsible. Okay. okay, we're drawing the line right here. That is all Amaram. Forget this, guys. No. <laughs> okay, that was too much. I'm sorry. Um, Hashtag okay. not yeah, sorry. Alright, so, yeah, what I, w- what I was saying back when back when Dave was still with us, about Brandon doesn't write stories in his stories to just be stories. Right. Like, whenever whenever he has someone telling a story, usually Hoyd, it means something, and it's important, and we may not get it right away, but it is, well, it is very important. In this case, what I said was a little bit of a lie. I do understand what he was saying. He was just trying to light a fire under Kaladin. Right. Well, I think it's mostly because of the character who's telling the story. It is Hoyd. And he has ulterior motives for for doing this. Well, but going back to the part where Brandon doesn't just write stories to write stories, like there's a meaning and it means something. Um, you do see that later with, um, you know, Shalon and the girl who looked up um, that that ends up coming back again in Oathbringer. And like, are we talking about the origins of humanity on Roshar? Like, it seems pretty clear that we are and that the story has a deeper meaning than it actually does. And even just things with like the, the chapter about studying Spren and we learn about Kusakesh and that never comes up again. But Trellium has this theory about how maybe it's one of the unmade. And I think that's a really great theory, but it's because we know that Brandon doesn't just put these stories in here to be stories like there's something deeper going on and we may not know what it is but when we find out it's gonna be like oh man yep all right so i'm i'm pretty much run dry uh tori you got anything else no i craig, said it craig do you have nope. anything else not this week then Next i week say I, I say we go ahead and call it here and look forward to recording again in three days hooray don't tell the people that good night everyone we took last Sunday off for Mother's Day. Sunday is our normal recording day. And now we are recording on Thursday. And then we're going to record again on Sunday. So, but when Mike releases the episodes, they're still going to come out a week apart. Correct. Well, 
See you in a week or three days, whichever it happens to be, people. Good night, Internet. Craig, you going to say bye? I already did. Bye. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.